You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about. Okay, there we go. Well, people. Eight o'clock on the dot. New me. New year in March. Um, how are you? Hope you're well. Welcome to Sports Therapy Association podcast, episode 41 in the 40s now, which sounds amazing. All of this, thanks to a world pandemic, this coming together of great minds, and more importantly, um, especially the people who join us live, um, who will be filling up Facebook as we speak, um, which obviously you're welcome to. If you listen to the podcast, um, then do try and join us on a Tuesday night, eight o'clock. It's um, it, it, it warms the cockles of our hearts seeing kind of so many people coming together um, to not only ask questions of our, of our fantastic guests, but also just network together and share concerns and worries. Um, you can also watch uh, live on YouTube if you don't have a Facebook account or you don't want to um, support Facebook. And you can still uh, write comments and we'll see them. And when you do write comments, then you come up on the screen. For example, Catherine there said, uh, hi, everyone. And there's Catherine on the screen. Hi, Catherine, how are you doing? You're right, nice to see you. And also nice to see Rachel and Maria and all these people who normally join us live. So... We do encourage you to give it a crack if you can. Come along Tuesday nights at eight o'clock. Talking of which, um, I must start by thanking uh, Dr. Christopher um, Norris from last week, um, who gave us a fantastic chat um, about posture. Uh, when does it matter? Um, if you missed it, then you can watch the video on uh, YouTube and you can also catch up with the audio on all popular good podcast apps um it was a fantastic hour um i've i've never actually um had the pleasure of spending more than five minutes chatting to um dr norris and it, what an informed fantastic guy um his 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 take on posture is a wonderfully pleasant way to tweak what maybe you've been taught and are still being taught um and and also realize you haven't got to throw everything out. You haven't got to throw the baby out of the bathwater, as they say, which is unfortunately the message which is often kind of given to you when you go and watch Twitter or, or someone on social, um, social media. Everything's in capitals and everything kind of tells you, you're rubbish. You can't change anything with your hands. What do you think you're doing? Just make them do some squats. And it just makes you think, well, why have I just spent 10 years of my life learning to do what I do? So, yeah, really good hour um, to help you become more evidence-informed therapists um, I encourage you to have a little look at uh, Chris's website um, noishealth.co.uk and also uh, on there you'll find a load of free stuff as always um, blogs really good information written as well as he speaks really really nice and, and not oppressive at all um, and also details of the many courses he is running at the moment online including the posture one which we talked about which is just one of many which he runs um, and wholeheartedly recommend him as an educator. Really, really clued up guy and really nice human being as well. So there you go. Check him out there on norrishealth.co.uk. Really looking forward to tonight. I say that at the beginning of, of every single episode, I know. And for every episode, I mean it. Um, but I particularly enjoy it when it's a topic that I really know that I lack in. I mean, I've, I've bored myself to death reading about posture and I've been through all of the great thinkers and, and done presentations myself and had debates about it. Hypermobility, I know very, very little, very little. And I suspect that a lot of you guys as fellow soft tissue therapists um, probably know less than you'd like to admit at a conference as well. Um, and it's probably one of these things which might make you feel a little bit like an imposter as we were talking about last week. Um, but it's an area which you need to know about. Um, and it's something which I'm hoping this hour is really going to help you with. Thanks to our wonderful guest, Bonnie Southgate, who's going to be with us with a second. Um, if you're interested in more information on this topic, then do make sure you have a little look uh, at Bonnie's. This is one of Bonnie's website. There's another on the way. Uh, but this one for the moment, which is pilatestherapy.co.uk. I've been looking through it myself. A load of great information on there. Um, and and definitely a starting point for you. But if you don't want to do that, then we have the person herself here tonight for you. So um, people filling up nicely, and there was a lot of people here. You've seen something you're interested in. It's fantastic. Um, I'm going to bring you now. No, no sweat there, Bonnie, sitting there shaking. Um, about sixty at the moment. So here she is herself. Um, I introduce you to Bonnie Southgate. 
There you go. Hi, Bonnie. Hello. Hello, Matt. Thanks How for having me. Brilliant. I'm good. Oh, thanks for you coming along. This is so exciting. It really is a topic which I know so little about, but you're probably used to hearing that because yeah. with all the presentations and lectures and things you've done across the country, it is a topic which not pe- not many people know about, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is. In fact, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's great that you've had me tonight because bringing awareness to everybody is brilliant. Fantastic. Well, I'm really looking forward. Um, as always, people um, in the sidelines there, um, it's your questions which make these things. This is for you and for me, but it's especially for you. So if you have any questions at all, any experiences you want to share, um, then then ask ask away. If I don't spot them, then I've told Bonnie to keep a nice eye on there as well. and She may um, read something out there. So any questions at all about a topic which I'm sure you guys want to know more about, then do feel free and we'll be keeping our eye in there. Um, to have a look for those questions if you're on youtube as well then feel free to write some questions as well right so um where should we start should we start with a definition let's start with a definition what is yeah yeah i think it's a good thing to start with because i think there can be confusion over hypermobility and say hypermobility syndromes so um you can have anybody come in to your practice with a hypermobile joint, which just means it goes beyond the normal ranges of movement. So we all know we have normal ranges, um, most of people, but you can create a hypermobile joint where you just get a larger range of movement in one particular joint, or you can have some people who have excess movement and more joints or all their joints and that can be a sign of a connective tissue disorder which is kind of a whole different ball game altogether um and comes with a lot of other issues um hypermobile uh syndromes tend to have um altered connective tissues and it can be collagens and elastins there's lots of different types of them so actually knowing the difference and being able to spot it's quite important in terms of possibly helping the client that you see um it both in the way that you deal with them like as massage therapists and also if you were going to train them because the the tissues respond quite differently between the two things that's helpful yeah i'm I'm wondering how guilty i think probably from what i've read so far a lot of healthcare providers are guilty of this but we kind of and forgive me if people in the room, if I'm speaking for you, you can you can say something to the opposite if you want. But I think as soon as we hear somebody or if they tick a box saying hypermobile or because most people who are hypermobile, well, actually, I'm not going to say that. A lot of people will say to us, oh, yeah, I'm hypermobile. We'll talk about it in a second whether they are or not. But our mm-hmm. natural reaction is to think, OK, right, well, we just got to get you strong because as long as the muscles around that joint are strong, then mm-hmm. you'll be fine. And that's as far as we really go. But from what I've seen so far, that can sometimes cause more harm than good or it can miss a lot of other things we could be doing with them yeah i think again it depends on whether they have a sort of syndrome or just general hypermobility um there is a sort of scoring system that they use in diagnosis which is quite basic and actually a lot of people will um test positive on what we call the baton criteria it looks at um assessing nine particular joints which is limited anyway because it's nine joints um but it's really other things that that come in that will give you more of a a diagnosis of a syndrome as opposed to just somebody who's at the upper end of the scale of being normal but with more mobile joints and it, it is that kind of differentiation between the two that becomes a bit more important because in a person who's just got more mobility say but the tissues and the connective tissues are normal, then you're probably fine just going off and strengthening them. And they're just going to do well doing the normal stuff. But if they have a connective tissue disorder, it affects their entire system. It affects every bit of them. So, you know, the organs, the vasculature, uh, the bits that hold your organs up, you name it. And when you go to strengthen them, it won't necessarily behave the same because you get a real in all hypermobile joints, you'll have a lack of proprioception. Um, but the, the hypermobility syndromes, they can have um, a, a large part of what we call your somatosensory um, perception can be altered. And that encompasses more than just proprioception as well, um, which is actually something I might 
talk about because um, I have a little bug um, in my bonnet about the whole percep ideas around proprioception and lack of proprioception in hypermobiles because the the typical thing to do is stick them on a wobble board and think that's okay but actually that's a a different part of that somatosensory system so that's you're more based on your equilibrium the balance and the proprioception is really very specific to knowing where your joint is in space and if you are uh, somebody with a condition, I've got some uh, a hypermobility condition called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. So I know a lot about it. And uh, if I was to pull my right shoulder down, it would come out of the socket. I wouldn't feel it. So I wouldn't know it's there. So it's a whole different type of thing. And putting me on a wobble board, I'm probably just going to grip around it and end up in pain. So you have to get a lot more specific um, types of rehab for for somebody who's got, say, a hypermobility syndrome where the tissues are really different um, and they may not, say, have the stretch reflex. So I know there's a study that looked at stretch reflex in hypermobility syndromes and something like 49% of them lacked a stretch reflex. So uh, you can't approach exercise in the same way necessarily with that group of people. So there's still 50% that might respond okay but there will be a percentage of them that don't. And so it, it comes with different issues um, in terms of dealing with them. Once again, I've got so many questions in my head. I've just got to try and compartmentalize <laughs> them from what you just said in five minutes. It's like, Boom. Um, sorry. Uh, no, it's fine. It's amazing. It's great. And don't forget people who are listening as well, get those questions down on paper now. Otherwise I'm just not going to let you get a word in. So I'm interested um Obviously, you said that you you know about the condition because, you know, you've lived with it. Um, yeah. How many of the people, because I remember reading as well that, that uh, often, it, and I put it in the advert, that a lot of people, it goes undiagnosed, for example, you know, for up to 10 years. How many people walking into our clinic with maybe another kind of issue, maybe something which is like MSK or something, how many of them potentially could have a better life if they were diagnosed with a few maybe tests? And we'll talk about what tests in a second. Yeah, yeah what's the prevalence of it like loads so there have been different studies done and it's considered at the moment a rare disease hypermobility syndromes um there was a, a rheumatologist it tends to be in this country sent to rheumatology as an issue um because it's jointy um he did a study of people coming into his clinic with pain and Rather than it being one in 5,000, it, it, it averaged out to be three in 100 people with it. Um, so it's way more common than people think. And it also showed, a lot of the research showed that 50% of people with IBS have a hypermobility syndrome. Huge. Wow. Yeah. So a lot more people. And, and unfortunately, because um, it does come a lot with a lot of sometimes comorbidities things that go alongside it because it is your connective tissue if, if you're a fascia person that's it just connects everything it's your eyes it's it's the lot um, even onto the cellular level uh, these different issues that you can get that go alongside with it uh, can be your primary problem so even the gps tend to miss it because they don't look at the joint laxity you you go in and it may be pain or it might be gastric issues or they might have what we call dysautonomia so heart palpitations um inability to control temperature inability lots of things can be affected so what i would say if you're a, a massage practitioner they tend to be or a sports therapist they tend to often have pain they often feel tight um and one of the reasons they feel tight is um we have two sides of our nervous system. So we have the fight or flight side, which is our sympathetic nervous system. And then we have our rest and digest, which is our parasympathetic nervous system. And a very large portion of them will be in a state of fight or flight because they have so much going on um, that their bodies kind of go into that state of alert and feeling in danger. Um, so, you know, the whole psychosocial thing is a really big one when it comes to uh, hypermobiles and particularly people with a hypermobility syndrome and 
the massage therapist might be the first person they go to because they feel when you get into that state of sympathetic overdrive, it, it um, firms the muscles up. It's getting you ready to run. And despite being hypermobile and lax, they can feel uncomfortable and tight. So they will often turn up at um, the massage therapist door. And it's a great thing for them because they need to relax in order to get out of that state to, to help with things. So you can be helping without knowing it quite a lot, but, but they do need to be recognized because ultimately they do need exercises, um, whether it's through somebody who understands the condition, um, Pilates is really good. That's one of the reasons I went down that. And I work only on the equipment. So it's resistance based. Um, physiotherapy is often where they're referred to. Any of the sports people that give exercise would be perfect for them as long as they understand that they've got the condition and sort of simple things like closed chain exercises are, are more beneficial really in terms of the proprioceptive feedback and things like that. We've got some great questions coming in here. You can give me a second though. I just want to ask one more question before we go to the questions. So Sarah and Fiona, I've, I've, oh, hi, Bill. How are you doing? Oh, graced with the presence of Bill Taylor here tonight. Fantastic. Um, so what would you kind of like massage therapists maybe to add to their medical parquet or something? Or obviously we can't even diagnose, but I get the sensation that if we could identify what well, all health, you mentioned even GPs, for example, they recognize stuff. What should we be asking patients or giving them an opportunity to talk about, which would help us potentially mm. see a situation where they need referring or to, to, you know, to open that door to them? Yeah, that's a really good um, question and a good point. And I think, I don't know sort of what generally what questions people have on their forms um but general health questions so things like you know ibs or gastric issues anxiety you know they suffer with a lot of stress a lot of the hypermobility um people are in chronic pain so it's the the kind of chronic pain conditions a lot of the people diagnosed with things like fibromyalgia um or me the chronic fatigue syndromes they all kind of fall into that category where they you know they get a diagnosis because nobody's quite sure why they've got all that pain um but if you get your hands on them they'll feel a little bit different you'll, you'll notice that things they'll be like oh i'm really tight here and you'll be going okay well that's you're very mobile you know it might feel tight but they might seem mobile or with the tightness so um, you can check that out, but it's asking, having those conversations about, you know, how are you feeling? And if they feel a little bit different, like the bones just feel a little bit more mobile, then you can start to ask those questions about, you know, you know, how's, how's digestion that could be on mm -hmm. your form? Um, things like um, what we call dysautonomia, which is obviously the, the things that regulate themselves. So, um do they get dizzy when they stand up so if you're getting them off your table and they need to sit there for a moment before they get up because they're dizzy that's a sign of something called pots where the blood doesn't come up fast mm -hmm. enough because they they don't necessarily have enough strength in the lower limbs or the vascular system to get the blood back up to the heart and the brain quick enough mm -hmm. so they can get that kind of dizziness so the all these little things can just add up to just looking at the joints just look at your people when they walk in the door do they prop themselves up do they stand there or do they prop like you'll see they'll want to move around they never stay still mm -hmm. they hang on a door or prop themselves up that sort of thing are all signs of really to maybe look at it a bit more and should therapists be happy about for example putting them through Bayesian criteria and some of the tests yeah. and is that something they should feel comfortable with I think absolutely. I think the bait and criteria is a really simple um, thing to take them through. And if they were, say, four out of five, five out of five um, or more, then it's a really valid reason to send them to their GP or someone to go. I've seen or or someone like a physiotherapist. I've seen this person. Um, they've scored on this criteria called the bait and criteria. It's not going to hurt them. It's absolutely fine for anybody to do this and it's really simple so if you want i can take you through it really quickly it's um so, yeah. yeah it's a nine point scaling system so you get points for either side and they start with hands i think one reason they do hands is because people don't tend to 
try and make their hands more mobile. So you you might stretch out your hamstrings and your knees and stuff like that for sports or dance, but people don't tend to sit there and try and make their fingers more mobile. So they take the little finger back. Generally speaking, you would have it on a flat surface if you were doing it properly, but you could just have a pullback. Most people, I don't know what yours look like, Matt. What's your finger look like if you pull it back? Right there. Yeah. So you 45, 50? So you can see the difference. So it would need yeah. to oh, come in here. It's 90 oh, yeah. degrees. Yeah. You can just see that. Yeah. So that you would do that on either side and that would equal one point for each finger. Then There's you would a picture to here. Thumb. Sorry, there's a picture I'm just going to put up for people who are watching live. This is why, guys, you got to come live. You can, we can still hear you. I'm just going to put it up on the screen because I think some of these show what you're talking about. So, yeah. There we go. So the next, the next one would be the thumb, and it's taking the thumb oh, yeah. to your forearm. And generally, they don't want to have to pull it. It's quite easy to go there. They might talk about um, pain in their hands, fingers, instability in hands. Then you have knees and elbows, and that would be 10 degrees. If you have a genometer, you would measure 10 degrees beyond um, neutral or normal. And then so each knee would equal one point and each elbow would equal one point. And then it would be able to touch the ground with the palms flat on the floor without bending the knees. So that's your general bait and criteria. Mm-hmm. All all of the medics who diagnose use this criteria. They might use some other things. There's a long list of other questions, but this is a, a scale for generalized joint hypermobility. So if somebody's nine out of nine on that, you need to give them a referral for sure. So it, it's an easy thing to do. It sounds like something which, again, I'm imagining, because often things like this are a party trick and people like showing off. It's the sort of classic thing you'll do. And they might not have tied that in unless they've read it or seen somebody that that's actually to do with their IBS or to do with some other symptom they're doing or something. Probably Definitely. Right. So it could turn from a party trick, which they celebrate and feel cool about to actually you need to just be checked out. And, you know, this could be explaining some other stuff going on in your body. And yeah, that's absolutely right. I'm just going to answer Fiona's question really. Um, yeah, quickly. let's do it. Fiona, I'll bring um, it up. I'll read so it out this... people listening to the podcast just in case they won't be able to see it. So Fiona here. Hi, Fiona. Thanks for joining us. She says, the study you mentioned about three and a hundred people uh, having hypermobility disorders. How is that defined, diagnosed? I was thinking the same thing. Um, did they you? Oh, Fiona just written another comment here. Hold on. Let's go back up again. Um, did they use the Baton scale? I'm interested to know what other factors you look at that might help to guide your clinical impression. Yes. What did they use okay. in that study? So, so that, that study was done by Professor Rodney Graham, who is like the, the godfather of hypermobility syndrome. He's the really one who put it on the map in terms of research. And he is a rheumatologist, um, who was made to study scleroderma. And he started getting interested in skin. So he started to notice the thought um, in order to help him learn how to measure skin, he measured hypermobile skin in order to learn. But he would have used the Baton criteria as part of his criteria. All of the rheumatologists use that. So he would um, have used that. But also there's an, an enormous criteria um, looking at all sorts of things from hernias to um whether you have dislocations, pain, it you have to have a family hereditary um, to go with it. There's a really extensive criteria that you have to meet to, to have one of the syndromes. So he would have followed that specific. The criteria changes uh, regularly. They're about to redo it again. 2017, they have a consortium that meets every two years, and then they redefine the diagnosis. Um, which is what he would have used, which was the which is the criteria that's used. The particular um, type of hy- hypermobility he was talking about is a hypermobile type of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome or a hypermobile syndrome disorder. And those are the only two they haven't found the genetic causation from. So it is based on uh, a set of criteria that they put out. The rest of them, they do genetic testing now. So they so are Fiona, Fiona went on to say that there's a follow up here just again for people listening. Um, 
I have a young female client who I suspected has hypermobility. Brayton score was positive and symptoms of chronic pain, stress and anxiety. Also positive Brayton scores in mother. Um, yeah. She referred out to a rheumatology department and they diagnosed fibromyalgia. What do you recommend? Where can they be directed? Um, this person has stopped working, normally very physically active, but they stopped because of pain. Are there any charities or organizations in the UK that can help with this? I might be sending her your way, Bonnie, exclamation uh, <laughs> So, So, yeah, so basically the um, – oh, thank you, Joy. Joy has been ready to be there. Um, the Ehlers-Danlos Society, there's two places. It depends where you are. If you're in the UK, you've got the Ehlers-Danlos UK, you've got the Hypermobility Syndrome Association, and you've got the Ehlers-Danlos Society – um, which is um, an international organization, which is any of them are quite good on the, the, um, Ellerstanlos UK, which is org as opposed to com, which is this society. They both have a list of practitioners, um, from different parts of the country or different parts of the world who have an interest in the subject because it is seriously underdiagnosed. Um, and it can be really difficult and it's not uncommon for the rheumatologist, unfortunately, to miss diagnosis, um, which is which is what it, it just is the way it is. There is a group right now trying to really get it out there in the, the medical world to to inform them a bit more. But it's it's often passed off and it does need to be diagnosed because you can have heart conditions and things, vascular issues that go along with it. So. When I was diagnosed, they wanted my heart looked at quickly just to make sure I didn't have anything going on there. So it's it's worth um, either fighting to get a, another referral or you can send the main clinics. There are certain places in the UK that specialize in it. I went straight to London privately because I knew I'd have a fight here. Um Unfortunately, that's the way it is at the moment. Mm. There's a question here, which is related, I think, to the collagen-related hypermobility, where it can be hormonally related, can't it? I think it was, where it was yeah. Sarah here. Sarah uh-huh. um, Clatworthy asks a vague question that says, is there a common link between menopausal women and hypermobility? Um, so, Sarah, that's a good question. Hormones definitely are implicated. A lot of times you'll find that, Females are affected much more than the males because of hormones. They tend to do worse um, in sort of puberty. Um, and progesterone is the actual hormone that creates more laxity in the, the connective tissue. So menopausal women should be, unfortunately, they should be getting less of that and they should maybe be getting a bit stiffer. But often if they're not dealt with, early enough, then they will have arthritic conditions or other things that kind of make things bad. There are a lot of other reasons that that, um, people can end up more symptomatic later in life that don't relate to the hormones, but can relate to something that we call mast cell issues. So um, that the the mast cells are like our immune system are, are sort of gatekeepers and they protect us from the environment, and they may be linking the hypermobile type of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome to it. They're looking at it because there is um, a gene that interacts with the mast cells that opens up your tissue so it can heal. So when you injure yourself, it is what allows everything to come in and heal. Um, But they're finding that some of the hypermobiles have duplicates and triplicates of this gene so it opens it up and it creates more issues so you can have somebody who's been okay maybe for a number of years and they can either end up with um, an event where they got um, a, a virus or they they started getting more allergic reactions and you can get things that will kind of set the ball rolling a little bit with it the hypermobility will have been there but you get this Um, issue then where they become deconditioned and then it spirals downhill and actually the conditioning so all you conditioning coaches out there that they have to exercise that is one of the things sometimes they need intervention from outside for other issues like the gastric issues because if they're not digesting their food or getting the nutrients then they can't exercise 
becomes a bit of a vicious cycle. At the end of the day, whatever treatments they get need to lead to exercise because it really helps them um, entirely. Uh, and you just have to be careful at, at, at grading the exercise, I'd say. I think if you're going to do a five, you know, a couch to 5K, they're actually living underneath the couch. they got to get out from under the couch before they can start. They start at a much lower level. On that on that subject of exercise, let's imagine that people have got the confidence. I'm gonna I'm gonna work with you now. I can feel I know exercise is the right way. But like when you mentioned that if you kind of you can dislocate your arm quite easily if you go too far, how how that's obviously gonna be an obstacle in the minds of some people, you know, crossing that step and thinking I can work with this athlete or this person. What can you do? How likely is that somebody is going to have a dislocation or subluxation or something? And if so, where do you go from there? What does the massage therapist or sports therapist do if that happens? Um, so sports therapist screening. So I I really struggled with my shoulders, particularly for a large portion of my life and knees and some ribs and feet things. Uh, when I learned objective screening, I was completely changed my life because I could look say at the relationship between internal and external rotation because the rotator cuff let's just use the shoulders for an example are going to hold those shoulders central so you can have inferior dislocations but to keep it simple for this we talk about that um i would do maybe a little strength exercise and i'll be really weak in one direction stronger in the other and my protocol has been using METs. It's been a savior for me. So I don't stretch. I do METs, post-isometric relaxation, because it's an active way of getting the muscle to reset a bit. So I can use the either a massage technique, a trigger point technique on, an, on the side that feels stronger, because it's it may be a bit facilitated in comparison to the other. And the balance between musculature in the hypermobile becomes really important. So this is where you actually do have to start thinking about really good balance in the system. So if I can balance those muscles out, I'm going to keep it nice and stable. And that's kind of how I've dealt with myself to, to stop the subluxations and then strengthen on top of it. So you kind of get it in place, get it all working. I, I, I'll use an MET followed by a strength exercise. Um, and it's, I mean, it's really helped me basically. So it's not as difficult as, as you think. I think you just have to be aware of looking at the balance around specifically the joints that are more likely to dislocate, which is shoulders, hands, elbows. There's a few tricks you can all learn tonight. Um, like with knees and hyperextended knees can cause a lot of issues up and down the chain and the hip and the feet. If you do something like a, a normal squat, when you cue a hypermobile to straighten their legs, you need to cue that the femur comes back first because what happens is the tibia shears back. So they can either, either think about straightening le the leg, bringing the thigh back first or lifting it off the tibia and you can't physically hyperextend your knee. So I've got crazy, crazy, crazy knees and I actually I worked out if I do that, I can't actually hyperextend them. So it activates the muscles and holds things in place. And then with the elbows, which also can be a really area of, of problems, um, external rotation, you can't hyperextend your elbow without taking the, the humerus into external rotation. So you'll see them in four-point kneeling or doing something, and they'll spin into external rotation, and then the, the elbow goes into hyperextension. If you control that, it's much harder. So there's little ways you can deal with it that people – if they know about can really help manage their own conditions when they're doing exercise. Definitely sounds like and this isn't just a plug for your courses, of course, but it just sounds <laughs> like it's something you need to go and do a course for just to get these little tips and things to look out for. And because if you don't suffer from yourself, you just can't imagine it. Can you really? It's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, what about mirrors? I mean, does that useful? I get, I'm imagining that these people, inside their body you mentioned proprioception and stuff they they can't just gauge it themselves it might be quite a surprise when they see a mirror and actually control it that way is that useful yeah i think mirrors are really good because obviously your eyes are part of your proprioception um i use 
tricks like um often they'll make a movement and it'll be kind of a gross movement and they can't feel it so even like running your finger down so you use a different sensory mechanism um i often try and get them to imagine the sides of the joint that in question Mm -hmm. and then i might just stick my finger and run it down and i'm like can you feel it now and they often can so you have to bring awareness to it in a different way um so you can use the other senses to help. So, yeah, mirrors definitely when you start out for sure, because they will have no idea where they are. So without a doubt. Brilliant. I want to I think this is probably something that a few people need reminding from. So Kat, I haven't forgotten about you. Kat just wants us to or you to remind us. Um, she says, finding this so interesting. Thanks, Kat. As are we all selfishly learning a lot about myself. Does the patient have to test positive on all the nine points um, of the baiting criteria? Sorry if I missed it. Um, thank you. So good question. Um, no, and it depends on your age. So when you're younger, um, I don't remember it exactly offhand. I think you need to score seven out of nine, um, until you hit puberty and then puberty to 50. Um, it's a bit less, so it it would be sort of six out of nine. And then for people are my age and older, you then go five and um, and over. So you don't have to score nine out of nine. And they do, when they do diagnose you, they take into account that they are looking at a limited range of joints. So they're not looking at hips. They're not looking at shoulders. And certainly when I had my diagnosis, the rheumatologist was fiddling with a lot of my joints. Um, it, you know, the baiting criteria is just a basis to see. You have to take into account people may have had injuries in joints. Or like as they get older, they may have arthritis in some of them. So they're going to lose that mobility. Neural tension, they won't necessarily touch the floor with their hands if they've got neural tension for some some reason. So no, they don't. Okay, fantastic. Uh, there's a lot of questions. I'm just going to go through questions now. So here we go. Are you ready? Catherine, you've been waiting patiently. In most cases, would you say most are born with it hereditary or is it something that gradually gets worse over time? So if... Um, if you are diagnosed with a syndrome, you are born with it. It's it's an inherited condition. So in, one of the things about being diagnosed is you have to have a, a member of the family, a first member of the family who also has it. So you may not be that symptomatic. All children are hypermobile. When you look at x-rays, all their bones are all separated. So they don't tend to diagnose people till they're older for that reason. Um, you are born with it. And it is one of these things where you can get a lot of these comorbidities. Cormo- and so sometimes people don't struggle with it until something else happens. So um, you can feel like it's getting worse when it's not, it's always been there, but it's the other conditions that maybe need dealing with so that you can get back into shape, really. I guess it's always possible that you're, somebody in your family didn't realize like a didn't realize they had it so you can't always guarantee oh my mom didn't have it so i can't have it i guess it's very possible especially in older generations where i mean even now it's not very well known about is it but i'm sure 50 years ago or something not many people realized they had it they do they do tend to be the people who did party tricks though so like my sure, when, I, question. When, when i was a child and my mother was in her 40s my friends used to come over and ask her to do the splits for them so mm-hmm. you do tend to have sort of family trick traits going on. <laughs> yeah, nicknames. If you think, what do they call your granny again? Yeah, I can imagine. Great question, Catherine. <laughs> Thank you for that. Let's go down. There's a few more questions here. So just right away, people, we'll go through them in no particular order. Um, bum, bum, bum. Fiona's replying. This is, I think, more of a comment than a question. We'll put it up there. So Chloe Goodman, thanks for your comment, says, currently doing Bonnie's hypermobility course for my sports massage <laughs> and Pilates practice. Brilliant course, which I won through the STA. Wow, we'll definitely put that up there. Congratulations. Um, great course, so informative, cool. and can't wait to get started assessing some of the clients. Fantastic. Thank you, thanks, Chloe. Chloe. <laughs> um, Bill here, who was um, our guest. There's a lot of parallels I'm seeing here with Bill um, gave us a great um, episode on male pelvic he- pelvic health. And obviously that had lots of parallels in terms of ask the questions, invite the conversation, don't miss it because you could refer out and save someone's life in a lot of cases. Yeah, um, with the relationship absolutely. between that and um, male suicide. So Bill here has got a question. Uh, Bill says, do you find muscle fatigue is an issue in this group when trying to strengthen them? Good question. I was going to ask that. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, what I would say is often they're not really good at judging things. So yes and no. And one of the problems that you have with this group is because they're it's not just proprioception. It's a lot of their systems that they haven't got good feedback into. So they might do more than they actually should have done and then pay for it later. So it's very easy to keep going when you don't have much sensory input going on. Um, and then you can't do anything for two weeks after. So they tend to be quite boom and bust um, people. So there will be fatigue, but yeah, it, it varies. It really varies with the individuals, I'd say. I think you have to pace. You have to start. Unfortunately, you have to start slower and build them up a little bit more gradually than you would another client. And do strength gains, therefore, are they less linear than you'd expect? Do you see kind of peaks and troughs or? I think, yeah, definitely. And I think you have to take into account that if you think about how the whole body and the whole system works, we've got the connective tissue, which is fascia, same thing, um, everywhere. And that's kind of feeds into the muscle tissue. So when you're starting out, it, the whole thing is just slacker. You know, mm. you the, they I know from studies, they say that you can develop muscle strength in a hypermobile as quickly as a, a normal person because the muscle tissue in itself isn't made of the collagens um, and elastins that are affected, but the connective tissue feeds into that muscle. So I still think it starts out just as a squidgier slacker mess. And it, you kind of just got to get them to a point where things are tied together a bit more and then they're off a bit. There may be some parts of them that always they're going to have trouble with, like um, feet because the ligaments don't hold the body weight. So orthotics may be really important in terms of functioning. You're never going to get the same recoil value from the fascial system, from your tendons. You're never going to get what you get in a normal person, that springiness that propels you along isn't going to be there you're going to rely on muscle tissue so you have to keep that in mind see i'm thinking now and this is tied in with d's question here you're saying this but you reached like a very high level of ballet didn't you surely you were oh. swinging around and jumping yeah no well so even as a ballerina at a high level i was by far more flexible than anybody there mm. so not all dancers they might look flexible but they don't necessarily have a, a connective tissue um, disorder right. and so I found it very difficult to do anything fast to get right. that I really like my thing was the slow adagio movements and okay. I could put my legs up by my ears that's where they liked me and I was much more of a slow mover yes mm. I could jump I did a lot of it by just gritting my teeth and just you know mm. making myself do it you also have different types of muscle tissue we all know that some of us have you know stronger or the ability to build muscle tissue quicker than others i'm quite lucky in that i build muscle tissue quite quickly which probably um helped me and saved mm. me in some ways um but like running no thank you i never put my heels down because if my heels went down i'd never get back off the ground fascinating that ties in with the question here from D. I'm going to stop my own brain and just go to the people here again. D says, um, D Clarkson says, encouraging these patients into sport is key. However, do you discourage those which promote end of range movements, e.g. gymnastics? Uh, again, oh, so many good questions. Um, mm. This is my, my feeling, my personal feeling on um, end of range. Now, I wouldn't discourage them from doing gymnastics, ballet, any of those things that go to the end of range, because I think all of those things, if they're enjoying it and they're not struggling and they're not dislocating, fine, go for it. Uh, they did do study, again, because I've done nothing but research um, for the last two years. They did a study on um, exercises in it was a group of of children but they had one group go to the end of range in their exercises and the other group not go to the end of range and they got the same benefits in terms of muscle strength and and decrease in pain but the kids that got what were allowed to go to the end of range psychologically were more satisfied 
because at the end of the day, you don't take the range away. The ligaments aren't there to hold you in place. You are always going to have that range. I can learn how to keep myself like stand up with my knees straight. But at the end of the day, I can sink into them and they'll go a mile. You can't take that away completely. You can use muscle tone to help with the control and the proprioception. But my feeling is it's really important to actually strengthen through that range because if you don't go there, you never strengthen there. So you only learn strength through the range you teach. And then inevitably they're going to go past it and then there's absolutely no controls. So it needs to be controlled. Um, if they're younger, let them do their gymnastics. Who knows? They may go to the Olympics. The only reason I had a career that I did is because I was so hypermobile. So it can be to your advantage if you manage it. And the more you exercise when you're younger, the better. And doing anything you would love or enjoy is always a good thing. I think you have to base it on the, the child. I think um, you have to be really careful with these conditions not to catastrophize them. Um, we know that if you catastrophize something and someone has pain, that pain gets worse. So um, it's important just to encourage them to do whatever they like to do to the best of their abilities. Um, and it, sometimes it's about getting the right teachers for them. Yeah, I'm sure like on your courses and things, as well as tricks of how to get people to control their body there must be tricks i was thinking before of how to keep that person feeling confident in their own body even though in a way yeah. you're highlighting what they can't do the whole time or they mustn't go into this area so it's tricky not to like you say increase these sensations of weakness and fragility but still make sure they don't go into those areas it's tricky have you got well, any think... tricks or ways to keep people upbeat and well i do because i would never say don't go into that i mm. would never even go there um it would it will be instructing them in how to do something but not not to go somewhere mm. if that makes sense and and in just encouraging them in what they're doing so yeah you want to stay away from all the the negativity and also my what i always say to them is no matter what level you're at now whether you're under the sofa or whether you're a high level athlete you can always get better mm. good so. like it um, I can see, and I was thinking of Pilates as well, I can see how Pilates with a reform and the resistance and the control and stuff could be great. Yeah. And Mel Coleman-Jones, I saw here, said, um, I'm hypermobile. Pilates would be my saviour for stabilising and strengthening, but also learning to control my joints. Um, it's much harder work, but highly beneficial. Loving this podcast, so informative. Thank you, Mel. Thanks for um, commenting. Yeah. The, um, the Pilates equipment is brilliant because it also teaches the control through the eccentric range, which is a lot of times where the hypermobiles I've noticed lose it. So they are good at contracting. They contract too hard, if anything, to get the feeling of the contraction in their mm -hmm. concentric control. And it's like all or nothing. So that like release with resistance into to getting that eccentric control is key. I'm not sure if this is directed to you, this question from Fiona. I'm not sure, but she's asked, what's your party trick? Oh no, she's saying add that to the assessment questions. Yeah, I thought you I, I, was, I thought you were calling Bonnie out directly there as to what uh, your party trick was. <laughs> I imagine I imagine yours would be split involved. Oh was, no, yeah. My party trick is just to pull my arm out and it just stays there. <laughs> lovely. It used to be it used to be the it used to be the Chinese split and then they could keep lifting my legs up. Oh lovely. I'll <laughs> never forget I was a few clients, I'll never forget, but I remember it's not client confidentiality because I won't remember her name, but she was probably, I think she was over 80. I think she was like 83, 84 and ex-ballet teacher and looked exactly the part and was very frustrated because she could still do the splits, but she just felt a little bit of discomfort in one of her hips when she was yeah, doing it. That one. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, she, and she was on the couch and doing an adductor split and it was like yeah. 83 years old and you're doing that. I was like, when are you going to have to go further than that? But um, it was really on her mind and it, and it, annoyed her and the pain was increasing because it was frustrating she was trying to reach that point without getting the pain and, but it's um yeah quite incredible i'll never forget her just opening mm -hmm. those legs up quite amazing <laughs> quite amazing um let's have a little look here do, 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 do. we've got some comments about yeah having the holistic approach including the psychological interventions too you've mentioned that haven't you it's very much a case of keeping um them upbeat and confident and positive and um fiona's yeah. back here 
Fiona's back. Fiona's back with, sorry, another comment from me. Don't apologize, Fiona. We love what you say. And there was an amazing episode as well with Fiona on biomechanics. Um, and I believe a course out there as well, which is starting soon. So Fiona, we can't get enough of you. Um, I have seen research, says Fiona, and it's widely known that stretch reflex is less present in later life. Yep, you mentioned that okay. earlier on Dini Bonnie. Um, um, I was wondering if you've seen a notable difference in function, balance, strength between age groups with this condition. Um, yeah, so uh, just so you know, Fiona, the study that they did on the stretch reflex was with younger people, not with older people. Um and it could be that the, the, lack, the lack of the stretch reflex plays a part in um, the person who is talking about women who are postmenopausal. So it may be that that actually has an influence on on their ability to control. So um, that's quite interesting. Uh, and that's because our collagens break down a bit anyway as we age, don't they? Unfortunately, the you know things change. Um, what were we going to say then? Can't remember. <laughs> no, just about whether the yeah, it was about if there's a notable difference in function balance oh. between age groups. But we've mentioned that, haven't we? Yeah, the age groups depending on hormones and is there anything yeah, else about age? Which you know, I think I I have people from completely di- like children. I I taught a six year old online who had been diagnosed with a hypermobility syndrome, and I taught i have a, a lovely lady in her late 80s and i mean they have the same sort of al- al- alternative function that you would find in the normal population i'd say so you tend to get more issues with arthritis and just general ailments with aging that you have to deal with than in the younger set of people Bill has mentioned here, um, he says, I see a big connection between hypermobility and pelvic floor dysfunction, incontinence, prolapse. Um, that's another one of these comorbidities which can lie alongside. Well, so actually, um, the diagnostic criteria for Ehlers-Danlos in that would ask about prolapse or hernias, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, yeah, tons of pelvic, pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, actually, a lot of holding of pelvic floors as opposed to weakness, which can cause incontinence as well. Um, and that tends to be part of this so sympathetic overdrive where their, their breathing gets altered. So they don't do uh, have nice diaphragmatic breathing. They can tend to be quite held because a lot of times um, around instability, you will get muscles in spasm as well. So, yeah, you, you have to recognize and do exercises and work with them trying to work out whether they've got no function or whether they're held. But mm-hmm. absolutely, yeah, something Fantastic. we look at. Great point, Bill. Um, Nikki Costa has said, this is so informative tonight. Great, glad you're enjoying it, Nikki. Um, I work a lot with wheelchair rugby. I will look to introducing Pilates as part of the training. We could do a whole another episode on Pilates, couldn't we? Um, we haven't done that yet. Um, yeah, that'd be great. Um, you found Pilates as a solution, did you say, for your own problems or it was in that order wasn't it you found bonnie pilates later on in life and so pilates um kind of goes hand in hand with ballet so pilates himself who developed uh his system lived in new york and dealt with a lot of dancers in rehab so a lot of that was geared towards dancers so when i was dancing with the royal ballet and you would be injured you got sent to the pilates room every day and again, it's resistance training, so it's mm. great. Um, and that was kind of how we were rehabbed, along with physio- physiotherapy. That was just part of the normal routine. So you'll often find a lot of the Pilates teachers come from dance backgrounds mm-hmm. um, because it kind of went hand in hand with it. It For me, the equipment side of the Pilates for the hypermobility was much better, better than the mat work because of the proprioceptive issues. And because I very quickly, having danced, learned how to stack my bones, a bit like a contortionist. So mm-hmm. I, I watch old videos from my dancing days, and I, I was bouncing. There wasn't much holding me up. Um, you just learn how to balance your bones on top of one another. So um, the equipment was kind of a game changer because it's all resistance training. 
Let's talk about it's getting late now. It's 8.54. I just didn't want to miss the chance of talking a little bit about um, stretchy skin because it's something which most people equate with this. Um, This is why I've got a little picture provided. It's something which I think I've read you saying it can be a bit of a curse as well because people are always looking for it or they don't know how much you're supposed to have or it can confuse the issue. What's the, yeah, what have you got to say about stretchy skin? Yeah, so... Um, it's important, and actually, even some of the rheumatologists don't um, look at this in the right way uh, because it's the criteria has been redone. And the picture you have there is somebody with a condition called classical Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. So the genetic component for that would be slightly different. Um, to say someone who had Marfan's and the different types of collagens and proteins affect different bits of you a bit more than the other. So uh, in diagnosing hypermobile type of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, when they look at the skin, it needs to be stretchier than a normal person's, but not that stretchy. So if it was that stretchy, you don't meet the criteria and you get sent to the geneticist. So they generally, you can either look at the skin, you can't see my arm hair, you can either look at the skin pulling it that way. And it's not how far the skin pulls, but it's the quality. So when you look at, um, you can't really see it very well on here. When you look at stretching the skin, it doesn't just stretch locally, it goes like around the hand. It comes mm-hmm. from from up and down. Um, the. You can see how it's pulling from different areas, my mm-hmm. skin where that would be what um, Professor Rodney Graham had studied and and had looked for. He said it wasn't so much the height of how far it stretched with a hypermobile type of Ehlers-Danlos, but the quality of the stretch. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But as you say, it's like something we mustn't just stop at that because there's plenty of cases in different types of this which i'm learning now where you wouldn't necessarily have the same kind of stretch in the skin and you can have people without joint laxity as well can't you these conditions don't always yeah. show extreme joint laxity yeah i mean the vascular type of ehlers danlos syndrome tends to have more of the laxity in the fingers and feet mm-hmm. um but it affects their vascular system so they end up with sort of um aortic dissections and aneurysms all over so fascinating um Mm -hmm. what we'll have to try and put together with your help hopefully is um we love putting things in our folders for the sports therapy association members where maybe we can have like a i think there's five point questionnaires which are quite useful isn't there especially where you're working with younger populations of did you have a party trick or maybe something we can put in our files yeah which would be great um could definitely do that um i'm not sure if it's myve or meve but meve or myve sheridan here Apologies for the pronunciation. Um, it says, this is fascinating. I'm a physio and I work with horse riders. I sell an online exercise program. Well, hold on. Is he just selling his own stuff? No, I think it's all right. I sell an online exercise program done against the resistance of a bungee for horse riders to improve the performance in the saddle. I get lots of feedback from hypermobile clients and Ellis Danos who find it really useful. Okay, using a bungee so they can feel that resistance. Yeah, absolutely. That, that feedback. Mm-hmm. Um. We've got some, we've got a little equine conversation going on there. So I'll let you guys get on with it. Um, yeah, we'll let them get on with it. Right. Um, courses and things, information, Bonnie. Um, obviously, you've got a huge amount of experience, personal experience. And I mean, the list of courses and things that you've done is, I haven't seen anything actually more extensive. If people want some more information, then what can they do? How can they get the best out of you? Uh, so they can look on my website, which I think you've, put on there and if they want to email me i'm i'm coming to the end of a four-day course that i'm running on hypermobility but i will be repeating it in the future um hopefully i have a book coming out in the next year oh very nice the the next year that's changed slightly since six months i've got to finish writing it before the end of covid but thank you (laughs) i have got a publisher (laughs) i will get it done have you got a title for yet are you still Um, working on it uh no i haven't i haven't thought about the title i just got to get it finished <laughs> and then give it a title how exciting that it's for practice it's 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 for practitioners and how to deal with it basically so Fantastic. it will be very comprehensive 
So for the moment then, until further notice, well, I mean, we'll keep you all informed here in, in the, for those who are Sports Therapy Association members, obviously we'll keep you informed. But um, pilatestherapy.co.uk is one place you can go to now. And did you say, Bonnie, if they want to contact you in person, is it through the website is the best way of doing it? Yeah, probably that's the best way to do it. That They can email and I'll, I'll pick up emails that way. Fantastic. Very exciting. Right. Um, so that's it people that's been a great episode i can't wait to listen back to myself thank you very mm-hmm. much for joining us we got some just put up a few nice little comments to make you walk away feeling happy about yourself <laughs> and what you do bonnie so sue here has said uh, brilliant informative thank you bonnie um this is either gary could be gary um thank you for your time this evening bonnie a great chat very informative thanks bonnie says brian Aww. lovely bunch on there i told you they're a lovely bunch very enjoyed the talks as <laughs> caroline fantastic no it's been really great it's been really informative um it's a subject we like a few of the ones we've had on here now which i think like you say we are the first point of contact for a lot of people who have got aches and pains in their muscles and it could be masquerading to use jack march's word um as something else and that mm-hmm. makes us a really important line in the healthcare provision kind of spectrum and cycle to spot things and have Absolutely. these conversations with people who trust us to put our hands on them. We stop thinking we're going to do magic thing with our hands and we actually start doing magic things with our ears and we listen to and observe the subjective. And yeah, so really exciting. And um, we'll get something in the folders there for you guys to add to your um, yeah, assessments. So Bonnie, thank you so much for educating mm-hmm. us. It's been great. Thank you for having me. It's really kind uh, of you. <laughs> people will be back uh next tuesday uh eight o'clock same time um got a fantastic guest for you next week as well look out for the adverts but for now for myself and bonnie southgate um thanks very much for joining us and uh stay safe you're listening to the sports therapy association podcast let's talk about it